failures are usually when, you know, in retrospect, they're really, really good because you get a lot of good learning if you process it well, right? And you don't repeat it, right? Of course, but if you process it well and take a step back and and and, and really reflect well, then you, you can come out the other side uh, pretty good and, and, and bigger, better, faster, and smarter. I'm here today with Richard Parker, who is the C. C. I'm gonna start again. CIO. <laughs> CIO. You're the CEO. That's uh, allegedly correct. <laughs> start again. Take two. Um, right. So, welcome to Brave Bob Brilliant. I'm here today with Richard Parker. Now, Richard is the CEO of Diomo.com, and Richard, you have been helping people start, run, buy, sell businesses for gosh over 30 years, I believe. That is correct. Yeah, a long time. Gone, it's gone pretty quick. Gone pretty quickly. Can't believe it sometimes. Fantastic. And you know, it's great actually because we are crossing over the pond over to the sunshine state of Florida, where you you're based. And I'm actually down in Wales where the sun is shining today. So we're uh, we're in we're on we're on good form. Well, I think we, you know, we're an upside down world because it's it's just absolutely pouring rain outside today. So I think it's done like a role reversal. <laughs> oh, it has. Well, I feel quite. I feel very lucky that I got the sun shining in on me. Yeah, you so, got the sunshine. We love yeah, talking well, our, about our the sunshine, weather. Our, our sunshine will be back. You're, I, I have a sneaking suspicion you'll be stuck with the rain for a little while, a little while longer. Pro- yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I agree. But listen, Richard, it's great to have you on the podcast. And um, you know, you're an expert in you know buying businesses, selling businesses, advising lots of people in terms of how they can really maximize value for themselves and and the business that they that they run. So, where did it all start for you, Richard? How did you sort of get into this field of of business? Because you know you've got a long history. You've done over a thousand transactions you know you've sold a hundred thousand copies of your course internationally in 80 countries great track record but where did it all start for you so first of all thank you i appreciate you having me here today certainly it started i I think i've always been entrepreneurial even from as a young kid and always had jobs or businesses going even you know when i was 10 12 14 years old um, but the the real aha moment, if you will, started in my in my late twenties. I was twenty nine years old. I was working for a company. I was making a real good living at that point, which was in nineteen eighty nine, nineteen ninety. I was making seventy two thousand dollars a year, living in Montreal. My first child was on the way, and through my sheer brilliance, I managed to blow all of my money in the stock market. I um, and and I. Someone told me about this wonderful thing called margin, where you could really double down, put down half the money, and double your uh, investment size. And and in in no no time, I was I, I lost sixty thousand dollars, and pretty much might wiped myself out. And I was a young guy, twenty nine, like I said, I had a kid on the way, and started thinking about like you know how the hell am I going to get out of this mess, right? And so. When I looked at that, I said, I really have a number of options. One, I could go buy lotto tickets and I don't buy lotto tickets. I can go put it on 17 black in Las Vegas and I'm not a gambler. Um, I said, my really, my only option is I, I've got to go into my own business because that's the only thing that would provide me with an opportunity where I didn't have a, where I didn't have a ceiling. You know, I was making a very good living, but what happens, people typically adjust their lifestyle the more money they make. And said so to be able to recapture $60,000 in the taxes in Canada, we'd have to make over $120,000. So, I mean, it certainly couldn't happen through my salary. So I ended up um, working on a transaction that acquired my first business, which was in a similar 
um, uh, industry to what I was doing um, at, at the time. And, and uh, subsequently, I started acquiring that business was going well, and I started acquiring a number of businesses, ancillary businesses that I was bolting onto that. And I guess I started getting a bit of a reputation in my in my town of being someone who was entrepreneurial. I was still pretty young, so I was able to help some of my uh, friends, colleagues, family acquire businesses. So in a very casual way, I was doing some consulting related to M and A. And um, I acquired a number of companies over the course of the next six years, most mostly ancillary to what I was doing. I was in the consumer products business, the ch- uh, infant products business. So I was bolting on some companies. And then I acquired the rights for Sega Video um, for Eastern Canada right at the time when they flipped the market from Nintendo. It was nothing to do with me. I mean, I just happened to be, it was like, I mean, dumb luck. I mean, I just I just happened to be in the right place at the right time. Really, I take zero credit. Um, but my business went from, you know, two and a half million to $30 million, like pretty much overnight. And um, what I knew would happen Typically, in those scenarios where you're a distributor or agent for a manufacturer, when you start doing too well, they're not very happy. As crazy as that sounds, they they don't look at it and saying, "Well, you know, he's making all this money, and that's great for our company." They just look at it and saying, "He's making all this money." And I'd gone down that road before, so I knew it was going to happen, and built that into my agreement with them. So if they ever wanted to take over any of my accounts or whatever, they have to buy me out. And they did. I was at that point in time, I was making more money than the entire senior management of Sega, which, again, they they probably should have been happy. But it's the mentality of, you know, that I've dealt with in, in my career. So they bought me out and then I decided what to do. And I moved to uh, Florida, got involved in uh, a couple of transactions then down here. One of them went off the rails pretty quickly as far as when I was investigating the business. It was a smaller acquisition, a little over a million dollars. When I started digging into the due diligence, it was it was like a plate of spaghetti. I mean, it was it was just a complete mess. <laughs> and and I backed out of the deal. And I remember when I walked out of their place because I was doing the due diligence, the financial piece at their location at that point. I remember thinking to myself, you know, the average schmuck would have bought this business. Right. And it was only because I had looked at so many businesses and evaluated so many of them that I knew, you know, I knew what to look for. And, and I started, it, it got me so intrigued about the idea of like, what does the average person do who wants to buy a business? What is, um, what do they do as far as information, resources, um, tools to help them? Because if they don't have the right information, I'm not that, you know, at that point in time, certainly I said, I'm not that smart. I just had been doing it a number of times. So you know what, you know where the, the skeletons are hidden, right? And that took me on a journey for, um, for about a year of investigating the market, really trying to understand it. And it ultimately led to me writing my course, How to Buy a Good Business at a Great Price, which outlined for people exactly what they need to know, what they need to do, and how to do it, and also hold their hand along the way. So to provide them with su- support, so when people have questions, I'm able to help them. So that's sort of the journey up until that point. And I subsequent bought a, subsequently bought a number of business afterwards. I've acquired 13 of them totally in my, total in my career. Wow. Well, we're going to we're going to get into the detail, Richard, but I just want to, um, as you were talking, I want to take you back to that kind of first big failure, if you like, if you want to use the word failure or where no, you went. Failure from. is pretty good. 
Yeah, yeah, where, you know, everything's cruising along lovely. You know, you're you're young, you're energetic and you're earning good money. And then all of a sudden it's gone. Um, because I think a lot of people in business, they talk about the highlights and all the, the achievements, which is wonderful. But we don't always talk about the challenges that come in business and in life, actually. So when that happened to you and you had a, your first child on the way, how did you did you sorry two parts of this did you find yourself in quite a dark place or you know a place of kind of shock and you know just trying to sort of oh my gosh what do I do next it's quite quite despairing or did you bounce back quite quickly and how did you bounce back from that because a lot of people would freeze and and really panic and not know how to dig themselves out of it so how did that kind of play out for you during that particular first big event if you like Okay, well, you know, touching to your original point, I mean, you know, the the failures are usually when, you know, in retrospect, they're really, really good because you get a lot of good learning if you process it well, right? And you don't repeat it, right? Of course. But if you process it well and take a step back and 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 really reflect well, then you you can come out the other side uh, pretty good and 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 bigger, better, faster, and smarter. But to your question, was there shock? Yeah, I mean, I was like. I guess the first thing was, I can't believe I'm so effing dumb. Like, I can't believe I did that. Like, you know, you, I, I was young. I worked very hard. I'd accumulated some money. And and like, oh, like I, and then I just, I pissed it away infinitely quicker than I managed to accumulate it, right? And so shock and awe was, of course, I mean, that was, I don't think a dark place is a place to put. I just really was, um, you know, just really uh, uh, upset at myself right? But it didn't last long because, I mean, I didn't have a choice, right? So, I mean, I had to get going. And what I found over life, you know, when when you don't have options, it's very easy to make decisions. You know, people say, oh, it's wonderful to have options. Well, there's some people that get paralyzed by that, right? And they, they can't make any decisions. I mean, if we get into the discussion of business buying, I mean, that's certainly, a you know, symptomatic in, in in that world but if you if you have all these options then sometimes it's very easy to get stuck um with making decisions the other thing was you know i've always found when when i think back now to that point in time what i've learned over the years in my career is when people are faced with uncertainty they generally react too quickly to make a decision not because the decision is right because they want to eliminate the uncertainty right? Because people don't want to live with that gray area. And so when I think about that period in time, you know, I looked at it. And so what I found is, you know, when you have a, when there is uncertainty, the best thing to do is think about how much time do I have to make a decision? And the longer you have to really, to truly make a decision, the the more um, detailed you can go into your um, um, research or what have you. But that's entirely different. You know, if your house is on fire, right? You just got to get water and hose down the house, right? That's entirely different than saying, okay, I got to make a career move. I was somewhere in the middle. I was, I mean, I was really in, in, in uh, under financial stress, but for me at that point in time, I had no options. My, my option was, you know, I had two choices. I can go work. I could stay in my job or work somewhere similarly, you know, that would have a, a marginal increase in salary. And I'd probably take 25 years to pay off that $60,000 because you have to take after tax money, and there's, you have to live as well. Or I can go into my own business and take a shot. I mean, the way I looked at it was, here's, if if I fail, if this thing completely shits the bed, pardon my French, if this thing completely <laughs> shits the bed, right? I mean, what's the worst that can happen? I'll just be back to where I am now anyways, 
So like, really, what, are, what like, I, I have nothing to lose. I mean, I, I looked at it. So the dark place lasted like an hour and a half. I mean, I just don't think that way. But I was, there was an element of shock and awe. Again, that was short lived and was like, hey, I just got to do this. Right. I don't have a, I don't have a choice. Yeah, I think you're right. When when your back's against the wall and and you are in a really tricky situation, you you do just have to get stuck in and make some you know some decisions. And and I like I like your um, advice there around just think about how long have you got. Um, and and if it's very very a short window, well then you've got to get on with it. If you've got a little bit more time, then of course you you can you can take take a bit more time. But I like that that thinking process rather than just gut reaction and just panic. Um, so that's that's really sound advice. So so with the um, with the how to buy a good business at a great price, fabulous title. <laughs> I love you. it. Thank you. It does what it says on the tin. I think from what from what how you've described it. So what's the what's the approach when someone is maybe thinking of buying their first business? What are the key things that they really need to get their head around and, and get familiar with so that they can have the confidence to make that first move? Because the first one's always the hardest, right? Yes. Oh, uh, oh, absolutely. So there's a couple of things, um, a number of things, actually. And, you know, I'm going back to the title. I'm a big believer in a good business. I don't talk about buying this, you know, extraordinarily great business. It's buy a good rock solid business that you could build upon because that's more realistic. And I don't talk about these delusions of buying these businesses, throwing off hundreds and hundreds of thousand dollars for no money down because that's not the real world. Um, I, and, and so I try to present everything in a, in, a, in a practical manner that works in the real world. But here's the way people need to look at it, this is buying a business is probably unlike anything anybody has ever done. The only thing they have to attach some familiarity to is maybe buying a home, right? Um, but the process is 180 degrees different. So they shouldn't attach or um, anchor any thought to the process of buying uh, a, a, you know, a residential real estate with an operating business. And the first thing people must do is look at some, you know, I, I ask people to consider the statistics because they're terrible in our industry. 90% of the people who begin to search to buy a business never complete a transaction. Our statistics are almost the inverse. 82% of our clients do within six months. And the reason that happens is it's very easy. If you're thinking about buying a business, the normal thing would be, well, I'm going to jump online. I'm going to start looking at businesses for sale and I'm going to start, you know, looking for articles and information, what have you. So the internet itself is probably the biggest, the greatest blessing and the worst curse related to this whole process, because it's easy to get lost very quickly. And what people need to do is they need to take a, a step back because they typically don't have any experience and, and, and acquire the, the knowledge they need wherever that is, but not generic, good, solid information, good knowledge. So acquire the knowledge they need. The second thing is one of the biggest challenges for people is to think about what type of business is right for them because you have to marry your best skill to the right business. You know, there's a lot of good businesses run by the bad by a bad owner and conversely, if you buy a good a business that's that's good and you're the wrong person to run it, you're going to go out of business pretty quickly. So getting your head around what business is right for you and we can talk about that after how people can do that. That's really the next step. Um and then the third thing I think people should really should understand, there's no such thing as a perfect business, right? You're buying a used business. There's going to be, you want one with the least amount of warts and pimples as possible, but there's going to be warts and pimples and there's, it's unavoidable. And so you have to understand something, you know, don't try to, when you look at 
look through, go through the process and you look at businesses, it's not going to be perfect, but you know, you, you can't turn little incidents into catastrophes. You have to understand you're buying something that's not perfect and you have to get your head around that. Now that doesn't mean you, all that you can mitigate the downside of, of everything if you do it properly, but there are certain things that aren't going to align brilliantly and you just, you have to be good with it. That's really, you know, so if I would have not, you know, nail it down to three things is getting, a, you know, acquiring the knowledge you need to be able to address the process properly, getting your head around what type of business is right for you. So instead of running around looking at all kinds of businesses, trying to figure out which one is right for you, first figure out which type is right or what types may be the right business. And then it's easy to find and buy. And the third one is, you know, just be comfortable with the fact that it's not going to be perfect. Mm, yeah, I love that. And and in that process as well, I mean, uh, you know, there's there's why is someone buying a business, right? What's the yes. purpose? You know, are they buying it to as a, as a lifestyle business? Are they buying it to add to maybe something else that they've got uh, going on? Are they buying it to flip and sell in five years time? You know, so I think sort of understanding a little bit, if you can, the purpose and the reason why you're buying and why buy versus start so that's my kind of next question for you. The benefits of buying versus the benefits of starting something. It depends on the size of the business. I appreciate that as well. But, you know, if you're if you're in a sort of a more of an SME type of world, let's say, you could organically just set up yourself or you could buy yes. something that's ready done. Pros and cons of both. Right. In my experience. Yes. But I'd love to hear your thoughts, Richard, on why why buy versus start. Well, there's certainly pros and cons. I, I I fundamentally believe that unless you have a ton of money, buying an existing business is a step up from a startup. Startups are very good. If, if someone wants to get into entrepreneurship, doesn't have any money and wants to get starting in a very small way, but at least wants to get their foot in, in, in into the door or dip their toe into the water, that, you know, it's certainly, um, certainly advisable. I've done a lot of startups. You, you, with a startup, nothing is known. I mean, so you, everything sounds wonderful because nothing is defined yet, right? I've also learned that over time that typically, you know, sales in, in, a, in a startup generating revenue takes twice as long and your expenses are, your expenses are double what you anticipated. And the failure rate is enormous. Like 80% of the business of startups fail in the first three years. And I think 80% of those fail in the next two. So, so in the aggregate, the number is like a 96% failure rate. With that said, I don't you know, want to discourage anyone who is in a scenario where they need to work, they want to do something, start something on the side to get themselves going, get into the world of entrepreneurship, can do it inexpensively and figure things out as they go. And to, to them, I say, hooray and, and do it, right? However, if you're in a situation where you can um, acquire an existing business, because it does take some, some capital, not a lot, but it does take some capital, you're way better off. I mean, in a startup, you don't even have paper clips, right? So in you when you buy an existing business, when you do it right, the you know, when you do it right, you get the keys on Monday, you get a pay, you take a paycheck on Friday. That's the reality. Everything's in place. You've got employees, you got customers, you got assets, you got infrastructure, you got processes, procedures. Now, again, it's not all perfect, but you're already you're you you hit the ground running. 
Versus a startup, it's a you're starting from a complete standstill. Everything is unknown. People get delusional and start thinking, you know, they they paint this blue sky picture of all the wonderful things that are going to happen. But they've con- they're selling themselves at that point because it it you don't know. It's like going hunting with a blindfold on versus a versus an existing business. You have everything in place to get going right out of the gate, including you know the uh, the you know cash flow. And 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 that's a that's a thing of beauty. So you know, I again, I just rather start with something, um, and and it's proven. And the failure rate is infinitely uh, smaller than than a startup. And so you know, if you can get into an existing business, you're just way down the road in the in the in the, the life of a business compared to a startup. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, yeah, I mean, they're very different beasts, aren't they? Very different beasts. And some people are just serial entrepreneurs. They love starting and, yes. you know, they get shiny penny syndrome and creative and kind of dabble here and there. And some people are just naturally like that. And I think if you are, then you'll probably be quite successful. Or when 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 the failures happen, you bounce back with another fresh back. idea. Yeah. 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 Whereas was actually, you know, like you say, maybe bu- buying a business is a bit more stable, a bit more secure. Um, um, le- possibly less risky um, in the... Yes, that, absolutely. You, know, you could mitigate you know. for a lot of the risk. And, and I agree yeah. with you wholeheartedly. I mean, the, the the idea with a startup, I mean, it is intriguing. And if you're intellectually curious and you're a quick study, I mean, all of those pieces are fascinating. I mean, I, I you know, I, I don't discount them at all or sit on one side of the fence saying, oh, you've got to buy an existing business. I understand the allure of a startup and I understand how it's it's really applicable to some people. And it is sexy. And it can be a lot of fun. I mean, it 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 could be like cause you a lot of heartburn, but it it can be a lot of fun. And really, for someone who's young enough, I mean, I would encourage anybody they should do a startup in their career because you're going to learn. There's going to be a whole different set of learning compared to an existing business, right? And and again, you know, there's for for people that have, you know, the serial startup people generally have you know a good amount of capital. Because they could look and say, I could start this business, I could put in money or raise money, I don't have to take any money for a year or what have you. So people that are in a different financial situation. So there, there are a lot of um, uh, interesting pieces to it. It's just, again, from where I operate, I just believe that you're further down the road. And if you want the element of, of stability, and especially if someone is in their 30s or 40s, may have some obligation, they're thinking about a career move, moving from an executive or management position into something um, where they need to have the uh, you know, uh, income, they need to replace or generate an income, then the path to, you know, the path makes a whole lot more sense than buying an existing business. If you don't have those obligations, you can work for a year or two and not take any income. Well, maybe if you have this, um, you know, phenomenal idea and you have the capital that you can put into business because most startups fail because of lack of capital, then, you know, by all means, goodbye, you know, good luck to you as far as doing a startup. And in that case, it may make sense. But if if you got Mm. obligations, got to pay bills i mean it's not it sounds great but it may not be reality you've got to get into a place where you can start generating or replacing an income pretty quickly yeah and you know you, you make a very interesting point richard because for some people they may have been in a job and had the security of a steady income so essentially jumping out of you know corporate life or you know employment to becoming your own boss and running your own your own show is quite a shift so when you made that change yourself how what were the things that that helped you make that transition because i think a lot of people listening to this or maybe they've got an idea they've got a dream they're thinking i'd love to buy that business be my own boss but you know i am scared of the of the, that shift from regular income steady 
um, to follow in the dream of being your own boss. So the transition for you, what were the things that helped you make that transition? I know you had a bit of a burning platform, but still you would have had to change your mindset, I expect, from being in a role, in a job, to, to being your own boss. So, so yeah, um, I one of the things in understanding that jump from the role, one of the things that happens and gets a, a comment that comes up quickly in, in my world is this idea that people say, well, you know, um, the, the naysayers, right? I'm not talking about the devil's advocate. I'm talking about the naysayers because there's a lot of naysayers because they just don't have the, the cojones to, 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 to make the leap, right? <laughs> right? So this idea of buying a job, right? Because that comes up and that's part and parcel to your question where people are going to, they're, they're, they're making the leap from one to the other. Now, I don't think it's a leap of faith personally, because if you do it properly, it shouldn't be. So the overarching theme here is you want to have a combination emotions. You want to be excited and you want to be scared. You want to be excited because it's going to keep you uh, forging ahead. And you want to be scared because it's going to force you to do your diligence, right? And, and do everything you can to mitigate the downside and do your investigation. So those are two overarching themes. People that look at it and say, well, hell, maybe I'm just buying a job. And I look at it and say, yeah, so what's wrong with that? Most people, there was a study I read not long ago, I think it was Gallup, it was here in America anyways, that 74% of people despise their job, not dislike it, despise their job. Now, so if you have an opportunity, if you despise your job and you have an opportunity to get into something where you can theoretically, you know, buy a job, where some people look and say, well, you're buying a business, you're just buying a job. It's not true, but to address those sort of uh, comments, well, if you can buy a job, where you have an opportunity to do something you like, to build something, to impact the lives of others, to get up every morning excited, to have an opportunity to grow something over the years and sell it for a lot more money. And if you do a good job, you're going to start making a lot more money than you made before. Then what the hell is wrong with buying that job? Right? If you told those 74 people, look, you hate your job, right? You despise it. If, if you have to put up, you've saved up a hundred thousand dollars. Well, you put up the $100,000 and we're going to put you into a job that you're absolutely going to love. Everybody would do it. People would love to love their job, right? So, so there's that part of it. And I think what happens is if you educate yourself properly and you do your due diligence and you go through the process in a methodical, thoughtful way and leaning on people that have done it before to make sure you're going about it in a good way, as time goes on, you are more and more convinced that you're doing the right thing. You're not more convinced that you're doing the wrong thing because that combination of excited and scared, as you're checking the boxes and investigating um, parts of the business, the financials, the uh, competition, the industry, the marketplace, what life looks like after you take it over, and if you're the right person for the business, then your comfort level increases exponentially. And so it's only when you don't do a, a thorough job of analyzing the business and yourself, whether or not you are the right person for the business, because that's that's the that's fundamental. But if you do it in a good way, the actual decision, you know, to jump in or the end, that's actually like it's almost anticlimactic because it's so obvious at that point. Everything adds up. Like, okay, like it just makes sense. But when you don't do it well, then people start to get nervous and they leave things stoned un stones unturned. And in, in their investigation, they become scared and they can't pull the trigger. 
Yeah, yeah. No, it's about de-risking it, isn't it, through that process. So yes. when you actually do do buy what you know the business that you're you're fully prepared or as prepared as you can be, even though you can't ever be a hundred percent prepared for what you might find under the bonnet um, of the business that you have bought. I always think it's like buying a car. You know, you can assess so much, but it's not really till you get stuck in that you 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 uncover things that just haven't been spotted during due diligence, um, and that's normal. Right, yeah, normal. you can take it to the mechanic, you can drive it, you can test drive it, a mechanical look, you can look at consumer reports online, see what you know, see the uh, history, the maintenance records, etc. All things right, you know, the, the mileage, everything seems to make sense that this is the right vehicle. But when, until you get in and drive it for a little while, that's when you're going to really find out. But that's entirely different. Your chances are that vehicle is going to be very good for your long period of time versus the individual who just buys the drives by the car uh, uh, park uh, the uh, dealer lot sees a beautiful shiny red car on the lot and just goes in and buys it. Right? The chances are <laughs> person A is going to be much more successful than person B. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so Richard, the process itself, and I know this is what you teach in how to buy a good business at a great price. So just in very simple terms, what are the different stages of the process from, first of all, identifying that you want to buy a business and et cetera, right the way through to when you get the keys for, to the office or whatever right. it might be? What What are the key steps? So the key steps from the beginning and this, the, 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 the actually the course that that we have actually outlines mirrors the buying process because that's very important so because you the, these there's a lot of steps involved and there's a lot of things involved with each of those steps but they're all very manageable if you do it in bite-sized pieces so the first thing is understanding the concept of why buy a business and what to consider because there are a little a lot of consideration financial and otherwise family considerations making sure your spouse partner whatever everybody's on board everybody understands what you're doing so those type of considerations then thinking about the from the standpoint of getting organized for the process because there's so many you know there's hundreds of thousands of businesses available for sale online and if you strictly go down that road it's easy to get lost and start to mismanage that process so you have to get yourself organized from how you how you go about the searching and how how, how you keep the information in good order and then uh, understanding, you know, getting to the point, understanding what business is right for you, because that's the foundation. That's actually, you know, point number three in our 23 chapters, right? The first, the considerations and timing, whatever, but the idea of, of what business is right for you, because that's, that's everything. Like, you know, you can screw up the other 20 steps a bit, but as long as you get that piece right of what business is right, if you buy the business that's right for you, everything else will work out okay. Conversely, if you do all 20 steps, well, and you buy the business that's wrong for you, you're going out of business pretty quickly. So it's very important to talk about that early on. And there's ways to go about it. Like I have, you know, if you want to talk about after I have criteria that I have in place for businesses I buy, and I try to teach people what, what those are, but they're mine. They're not for the next person. So you have to get to those five golden rules and then understanding where to look and how to look and how to rule in prospects and equally important, how to rule out prospects, because you have to learn to say no fast. If it's not the type of business that's right for you, just get rid of it. And, and then the the so once you and then dealing with business brokers, understanding how you interact with sellers, what questions they you should be asking them, the answers to look for, what research you should be doing parallel to finding one or two or five businesses that may be of interest, and then going down the path of understanding, you know, how to value a business, negotiating the transaction, de, uh, arranging your financing putting the deal in place, organizing yourself for the due diligence, 
and everything that's involved with that. And then, you know, how do you get to the, how do you make that decision to pull the trigger? And subsequent to that is really, what do you do? You, everything is wonderful when you close on the deal. What do you do for the first 90 days after you buy the business? So those are the steps that how I, how I look at it. And it, it really, it, it just reduces the process to manageable uh, pieces versus trying to, oh my God, I got all this stuff that I got to do. Like, how do I value a business? Well, we'll get to that, right? Like, you know, you, you do it in, 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 in a meaningful and methodical way. Yeah, I love that. How do you how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time, right? One bite at a time, right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Fantastic. So, um, I just want to flip to the other side of the table, right? Someone that's selling a business now, uh, because for every buyer, there's a seller, and I know you work on both sides in terms of buying, but also supporting businesses that maybe are preparing for sale and maximizing the value of that business. So we touched on this before we press record. You've got some thoughts and tips for people that maybe are thinking about an exit for themselves. Maybe maybe they've been in business for a while, or maybe there's been an event that's happened in the family. It could be health. It could be different reasons why people just feel that they don't want to continue with the business, or they just might want to cash out and, and earn loads of money and go and sit in the Caribbean drinking pina coladas, right? Everyone has different reasons for selling. Sounds good. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm on that camp. But um, yeah, so so when you're supporting people in terms of selling the business and maximizing the value, what are some of the key things that a business owner should consider? So one of the things that I think is very important for business to, owners to understand is they should run their business like they have to sell it. In other words, and especially for people who have, who buy, you know, we do a lot of business buyers, they acquire business. I always tell them, you know, once you get in there, think about the challenges that you had during this process and businesses that you found interesting, other ones that you found terrible, other ones that you, you know, um, couldn't understand, whatever, you know, things that you found that were problematic in business and keep those things in mind as you run your business. So, the, you know, to me, it's run your business like you have to sell it. And by that, I mean, there's a few common um, uh, aspects to business sales when you're selling a business that are important in every transaction. It's like if you were to do the Venn diagram, if you will, of, of, of business selling. So the first thing is you want to keep flawless books and records. That's critically important. That's really at the top of the pyramid when people look at the business, because if the business is upside down financially and the reporting is not good, it just it just takes get it takes way too long to get to the bottom of what the real numbers are. And so, you know, and part of that is also, you know, you have a lot of business people that take uh, keep taking cash out of their business or have unreported income. I mean, that's their business. I don't cast any judgment, but understand when the time comes to sell your business, you, you're not going to get paid for that. You can't steal it twice, right? And so. You know, I just believe that you better off put all the money into the business and use that extra money related to marketing or whatever. Because when you you grow the business for every dollar, you're going to sell it at a multiple. So I'll do the math with anyone side as a sidebar to this conversation, but I'll show them that you're infinitely, I mean, infinitely um, uh, ahead of the game by putting your money back into your business and growing the business. So the first thing when you say running like you have to sell sell it is flawless books and records. The second thing is related to problem. Whatever keeps you up at night about the business is certainly going to keep a buyer up at night about the business. So if you have any issues related to customer concentration or recruiting new employees or any of that, that, you know, that is going to go to the power of 10 for someone who has no understanding of your business, who's just looking at it and investigating it. So if it's 
Like if it's a problem for you, it's probably a catastrophe for the buyer. And so trying to mitigate that, again, those big issues is, is really important. The other thing is thinking about, you know, having a second team of management in place or someone that can theoretically take over the business. You know, if you get hit by a Pepsi Cola truck tomorrow as the owner of a business, what happens to the business? A lot of small businesses would just go out of business. And what happens mm -hmm. is individuals, they start a business or they buy a business that starts doing well. They start, they keep taking out more money as the business gets more and more successful and they turn it into a lifestyle business as opposed to putting money back into business or saying, hey, you know, I should, you know, now that I'm making X hundreds of thousands of dollars, I don't need to take anymore. I just live my lifestyle and I'm going to spend 50 or $100,000 a year to bring in someone who could, could manage the business below me. Right. But as an assistant manager, whatever the title may be, because if God forbid something happens, um, there should be someone in place. And as a buyer looking at that business, say, hey, I already have a manager in place or there's someone if some, you know, I, mm -hmm. I you know, if I, I know that a non owner can learn how to run this business as well. So that's um, that's really, really important. Um, and I think if you understand the third part. So, again, books and records, major problems. And then understanding transition. And when I say understanding transition, the majority of people that buy a business buy it in an in industry they have no familiarity. And, you know, one of the things we teach people when they're looking to buy the right business, don't confuse experience with expertise. Just because you have an experience like yourself, for example, in the travel world, right? You may have worked in the travel world, but your travel, the travel world is not necessarily your expertise. It's what you did in the travel world. That's your expertise. And more often than not, you can apply that to other industries, your expertise within that sector. It doesn't have to be the same sector. It's your expertise, if whatever that may be. So understanding the transition when it's turning over to new owner and some of the things that are going to not only be concerned to make it easier, but like, do you have a plan in place for growth that's reasonable? Do you have process and procedures in place? Does everybody know where they're supposed to be? It's like a, you know, a football team when the whistle blows. Does everybody know where they're supposed to be? Um, can someone take it over? The larger the buyer pool, of the, in other words, the, the larger the pool of the number of people that could potentially buy the business, this you increase the value of the business significantly commensurate with the size of the buyer pool. So if you have a highly specialized business and only 2% of the people that are looking to buy a business can buy that business, it impacts the valuation. Think about that. If 75% of people looking to buy a business can buy your business and transition well to it, it increases the value. More people, it's a bidding. It's a bidding process. So those are the three really key pillars that I that I would recommend to business owners. Yeah, it's so important, isn't it? Because I think you're right. You know, I often say when I'm working and advising, you know, whether it's corporate clients or whether it's SMEs that are looking for an exit, I always say start with the end in mind. Yes. You know, build your business, set your business up today so that it's all, you know, you've got systems, processes, people, all fully aligned. It works. It runs like clockwork without you in it um, because one day that is what a buyer is going to be looking at. If you become the blocker, then that's going to significantly devalue the business um, because then you're just handing over a problem. And I see this a lot in private equity. Private equity will often line up as the successor a good year in advance. If the CEO doesn't want to go again for the next time, they'll still line up the CEO in waiting, ready for them when they're ready to sell. 
they've already got a plug-in, um, yes. you know, solution for the next buyer when they flip it on in three, four years' time, however long it may be. So, yeah, it, but that that theory holds good, regardless yes. of whether it's a VC or a, a private equity private equity buyer. So, yeah, really, really great advice and so, so important. So, so Richard, you were hired by the Dalio family, weren't you, to work with them in, a, in an advisory capacity, mentoring Ray Dalio's son, what was that? How was that? That must have been quite an experience. It was an incredible experience. I, I met them quite by accident a number of years ago. They had, uh, Ray had solicited and approached me that I was recommended to him. His son at that point was living in Florida. He was 29 years old, looking to acquire a business. And um, they approached me to um, uh, help him, teach him how to buy a business. Understand when I got their phone, when I got a phone call from him and he introduced himself, I had no idea who he was. I mean, we just had a very nice conversation. I was... At that point in time, my my youngest son, who's twenty one now, was just diagnosed with epilepsy, and I was um, I was dis- I was going to be taking off several months to I, I really wanted to research the disease to see how it was going to impact my son and impact their family, of course. And so I was not taking on any clients. Um, and this gentleman at the other end of the line said, you know, he had some good connections in the medical and healthcare field, and if he could be of any assistance, he'd be happy to extend that to me, regardless of whether or not we work together. And I thought that was a very kind. Uh, gesture, really kind gesture. And so um, I decided, I said, at the very least, I'll meet his son. And I really, really liked right, this son. His name was Devin. Really, really liked him. R- thought he was a, a wonderful, um, uh, seemed seemed wonderful, smart, um, asking the right questions, humble. Um, he was, you know, about, I think he was in his late 20s at the time. And I decided, you know, that I'd take them on as a client. And again, I have no idea. You know, we're, people are uh, enamored with my work with their family, but like I didn't pay any attention. I didn't even know who the family was. I don't I don't care about that stuff. It makes no difference to me whatsoever. And we worked together for about seven months, eight months. And um, only at some point, Devin mentioned something along the lines of uh, his family. And I said, hey, these, you know, they sound like they might be a pretty well-to-do family. And I, I somehow Googled them, whatever. But we had been working together for months and months and months, like I said, about six, seven, eight months. And then said, oh, my God, you know, this pretty substantial family. But it, it didn't weigh in the question. And he ultimately decided to go back and work in his family office. They were just starting up. But if you, fa- you fast forward a few years, 10 years later, he had become the co-CEO of the family office, which grew from like three people to 125 people. And he decided that he wanted to leave and start acquiring businesses. He was thinking of moving to Florida. And, and he... Um, and so he exited the family office and he spoke to Ray about the idea that he was going to approach me um, to get involved with them. And Ray thought it was a great idea. So Ray had called me on a Sunday. I was in the midst of moving my M&A practice. It was like timing was terrible and terrific. We put together a, a, a deal in, I don't know, three minutes. Um, and it was the idea was I would be mentoring Devin about acquiring businesses. This was 2017. Mentoring Devin about buying businesses. Ray was going to be our sole investor, which I guess is nice when you're in business, you know, when you have someone of that, you know, of that uh, substance behind you, you only need one investor. Um, But I was going to be teaching Devin, mentoring him. And um, and we got into business. I started commuting up up north. We we looked at a number of business. We had, you know, we... We really had an unbelievable opportunity because we had the the luxury of being able to look at a lot of different areas and not pressured financially of what we wanted to look at and invest in. And we ultimately made a number of investments. Um, and, um, you know, there was we went through the typical investment committee, whether it be Ray or, or the trustees of the, of the family office. Um, Devin and I worked together face to face 
Um, we developed it and I never looked at him as a mentee. I mean, to me, he was always my partner. Devin was one of the probably when you take a combination of these two attributes, probably the smartest, nicest man I'd ever met in my life. And no bullshit to him, completely humble, never played the family card. I mean, people who would meet him, I'd introduce him to, like, we're always intrigued, like, what's the son of a billionaire? Like, you know, and <laughs> people afterwards used to be like, I can't believe how nice this guy is. It was, and it was like, I told you so. I mean, this is just like a, a down to earth, normal guy. And so was Ray for that matter. I mean, he's just, you know, he happened, you know, he happens to have been incredibly successful, but you mean, he's just like a down to earth, he's regular one of the guys, right? And um, so Devin and I worked together um, for about four years and we shared an office. We had a couple of offices in our facility, and um, but we, we loved working in the same office. We bounced ideas off of each other. We worked face to face. We became, you know, incredibly, we had an unbelievably trusting, non-judgmental relationship. Um, and there was this learning that was going on at the same time. Um, but we, we, we developed this unbelievable personal relationship. I mean, close like brothers. I mean, and, and terrific guy. And, and unfortunately, December 17th, 2020, he was killed in a car accident, as I'm sure, you know, you or many people yeah. read about, um, which, um, which was just horrific. I mean, as a matter of fact, I'm, you know, see the family regularly that day, we get together every year. Um, and, and, uh, you know, when I, so I look back and answer you to your question, there's like two conflicting points, right? I mean, from a learning perspective and a work perspective and access to people and resources perspective, it, I mean, it was an unbelievable few years and the relationship Devin and I formed, I mean, it was just, it was ridiculous. It was just over the top. So in the grand scheme of life, on a scale of one to 10, the experience was probably a 25, Right. The other side was, you know, when you look, if you focus solely on the outcome, which subsequent to his accident, which, which, which was what I was really focused on, it was terrible. But that was a moment in time and something, you know, obviously don't get over. And certainly my pain pales in comparison, of course, to, to what his parents are going through, like losing a child. It's unimaginable. And, he's, and his whole family is like Devin. I mean, they're just all wonderful, kind, down-to-earth, productive, accountable people, humble, and very philanthropic. I mean, you know, they have this very high profile, but they are just, they're just a beautiful family, right, in the way they treat one another and, and others. So um, the pain that, you know, they've gone through is just uh, excruciating, right? So yeah. you look at, you know, that part is horrible, but the experience of working together you know, uh, side by side, shoulder to shoulder with Devin um, and the experiences that the, the you know, the the uh, the family office provided because they were phenomenal. I mean, that part of it was unbelievable. It was, it was yeah. What an honor and a privilege to to have had yes. the chance. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Very much so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's you know, it, it just shows you, doesn't it? As you were talking, I was a bit goose pimply, you know, as you were <laughs> as you were you were talking. And, and it just shows you, doesn't it, that. You know, people, connections, human to human relationships, that's what it's really about, you know, and we talk about business and we talk about the finances, but actually businesses are made up of people and their families and and the impact that they have, you know, and, um, you know, someone like that that's comes from that 
you know, extreme wealth, if you like, um, in terms of what Ray and, and Bridgewater created a, as a billionaire. Um, at the end of the day, they were the human beings with people with feelings and emotions. And that's obviously where the connection comes, where you can you you obviously had a phenomenal relationship. And then the business comes after. Yeah, you know? correct. I mean, the you know, the you get older in life, you get more philosophical, but certainly, you know, yeah. there's there, there's no absolutely no doubt, you know, being able to more go from a transactional relationship to a personal relationship is it, is so much better. And relationships and you know, the money, the work, all of that. I mean, that's bullshit. It's just window dressing, you know, the the how you are with people in the relationship, you know, things are meaningless. People are everything. And so sometimes you realize that too late in life and um, or when you're too old or when you're dead or someone else realizes it when you're gone. But it's incomparable. I mean, the relationships are everything. And um, yes, of course, there are those transactional relationships and those play a role in your life. But, you know, oftentimes people are just so consumed with the, the financial piece that spend way too much attention. I don't want to wax too uh, you know, philosophical about everything, mm -hmm. but it, it really is true, right? When people who are older than you tell you when you're young, you know, certain um, pieces of advice, um, you know, it, it, it really proves to be accurate. And the, to your point, I mean, the relationships are everything. Things are, they're just things. I mean, they're, they're nothing more than that. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's how you are with people and the relationships that you have with people. That's where that's what pays the real big dividends. Um, yeah, definitely. And I think that's that's a good reminder, isn't it, for all of us? You know, if you're buying a business or you're selling a business, you know, don't just think about the numbers. Think about what it means for the person that's buying or for the person that's selling. You know, I often I often you know spend time with business owners and they say often that, it was the worst day of their life when they sold their business. Horrible. And, and, a lot of and they were they were just lost. You know, they didn't know what next. And, and I guess that's another point. If you are looking to exit, think about what your new purpose is going to be post-sale. Because if you've yes. started and scaled a business, it's been your baby and it's been like so entwined in your personal life and your family life, all of a sudden when that, that has gone, what do you replace it with? Um, because yes. you might have the big the big check and the, the numbers in the bank, but then there's a big void, right? Yes, I mean, I, first of all, I'll tell you, you, have to, you ask great questions and have some really spot on observations because that, you know, to your, to what you were just talking about, that idea, concept of what life looks like afterwards is applicable for both buyer and the seller. And, you know, a buyer... You know, a buyer should also understand when they're going through, people always talk about buyer's remorse. Sellers get it as frequently. And a buyer should really needs to understand when they're going through, this is someone who's selling their business. This is part of them. This is their baby. There's an emotional attachment. Even if there's a morbid reason that they're selling, you know, the, the, the you know, death, divorce, Ill, uh, uh, illness, um, financial, even if they're, the, even if they're really compelled and they they're forced to sell, there's still an emotional attachment. And, 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 and approaching this as a buyer from an empathetic standpoint, as opposed to just, sitting down the seller and being a, like a, a jackhammer asking the questions yeah. and trying to win every single point and win every battle. I mean, it's the wrong approach versus looking at this and saying, well, why don't I just try to have a nice casual conversation and a meaningful relationship with this seller? You don't have to necessarily love them, but you got to like and trust them, of course, but being empathetic to what they're going through. Because if you, you can do that, chances are you could probably get to the finish line in, in a better way. 
And similarly, a seller needs to understand it's great to sound, you know, you're going to sell their business and maybe a pot of money or not, but what the hell are you going to do after? You know, your, your purpose is gone very often. Now, some people have outside interests and they know they can't wait to sell it and start fishing or hiking or doing volunteer work, whatever the case may be. But there's other people, they're lost. Yeah. So their purpose is gone. And so both parties need to understand what does life look like? You know, the buyer, I mean, I got to run this business. I got people, I got staff, I got employees. I'm going to, you know, how am I going to do it? I can't make payroll, all these type of things. So understanding what, like, you know, what it looks like on the other side is really important. Yeah, no, I love that. It's, it's, it's a really, really um, rich conversation to have, I think. Uh, and I'm really grateful that we're having it, Richard, because it's not just about the money and the numbers and the deals and the hustle and all of that. It's actually uh, so much more than that, isn't it? That, yes. That's, that's uh, you know, involved. So it's a really good watch out, actually, on both sides to, to don't neglect that side of it. And, um, you know, and over the years, Richard, you know, you've been doing this a long time. You've helped you know, thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people. You've seen good deals. I'm sure you've seen some bad deals as well <laughs> over the years. You don't buy the first pair of shoes that you try on, you know, so it's good to <laughs> to, to go through the motions uh, in a good way. And over the years, you've you've met and spent time with some incredible business leaders and this, I'm sure people, friends, family around you. And you will have received lots of advice over the years. And the great thing about advice is we can choose what we do with it, right? <laughs> we have to take it and implement it. Or we might say, thank you very much for that, but I'm going to ignore it anyway. Right. <laughs> can, can you think of you know, a really good piece of advice or the best piece of advice that stands out for you over the years that you've personally received? Good, deep question. So I think there's two parts, the business and the personal side. You know, I've worked with lots of business owners, I've been very blessed from small business owners to billionaires. And I think, so on the business side of things, the one piece of advice or the one thing that I've observed as a result of working with these people is probably two things. One, they don't focus on the money. They focus on building something great and the money's going to follow, right? They want, they're, they're, uh, they want to build a great business. They want to have great people. They want to give them an opportunity to shine and so their focus is on building a great business and not on the money because the money's going to happen. Right. And I've, and, and it, 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 it works. I mean, I've seen that happen in, in, in multiple businesses that I've been involved in, you know, that if you, if you do right by people, if you do the right thing in building a business, if you do right by people, and if you're in a, some, uh, an environment where there's an economic benefit, the money is going to happen by default. And if it doesn't happen, you know, in great extent, you're going to have learned something incredible, right? And so, so to me, when I look at that, the, the observation more than an actual specific piece of advice is, you know, in, in the business sense, is building a great business. And the, the application that I've made in my own life is I try to look at things and say, I'm going to blank a great blank by doing the following. Right. And the business was, I'm going to build a great business. I'm going to build a great business um, by doing the following. And for me, it, it applies to anything. I'm going to blank. I'm going to have a great blank relationship with my wife by doing the following. And it forces you to articulate what you're going to do in the steps and to, to do that. And it really ties again back into that understanding that became obvious to me that the great business people focus on building a great business. It's not the money. The money's great. It's going to happen. So to me, that would be in businesses, you know, do right, do the right thing, you know, do right. Don't worry about being right. Just get it right. 
<laughs> you know, when you're younger, I know for me anyways, when I was younger, I had a bigger ego and more insecurities, worried about being right now. I don't give a shit, you know, and like, and so you, you, cause you learn more when you make mistakes and just getting it right and doing the right thing is infinitely more important than, than being right. And so, and on the personal side of things related to it, I mean, again, the, you know, the, the more of an observation is that the personal relationships trump all the business stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Brilliant. I love that. And and Richard, you know, you're a busy guy. You've had accolades coming out of your ears. You've been in the New York Times. You've been in Forbes. You know, you've done all this amazing stuff throughout your life. And, um, and you're continuing to have a busy year, I think, this year, by the sounds of what you've got going on. Yes. So, <laughs> so if you could describe this year in one word, what would that word be and why? Fascinating. Tell me more. Well, I think there's so much at play, like in, in, in the world of business, right? There's so many things at play in, in, in the world where I operate of helping people buy businesses. You've got situations where you've got people worried about recessions. You've got inflation. You've got interest rates going up. You've got all these things happening at the same time, which in the 30 years that I've been involved in this business, you oftentimes get pieces of one or two of those that may happen, but not all of those at the same time. So that's like crazy. So, and yet, and yet with all of that, it's not, it's not this blood in the street scenario, but the blood is starting to seep in. And so I'm seeing a lot of terrific opportunities. A lot of people in these difficult times move out of the market and say, well, I'm just going to stand by the sideline and see what the hell happens over the next year or so. And, you know, in a year from now, those people are going to say, well, I'm just going to stand by the sideline and see what happens in a year or so. And in two years from now, they're going to be saying, I'm just going to stand on the sideline and see what happens in a year or so. Yet these other entrepreneurs, now's the time that there's, they're really going to take advantage of some fantastic opportunities. So when I say fascinating, then you have all this, and then you have all this upheaval in the world right? Like in the, in the macro scale, people that are worried about, you know, wars in Ukraine and things that are going on in, 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 uh, in Darfur, in the Middle East. And I mean, there's just this like buffet of craziness, right? Around the world. And so there's, while there's a lot of uncertainty, I still see people like, you know, people are pushing through and yeah. it's very, it's very easy to let things overwhelm you whether it be in the business side or world events and what's happening and say, you know, like this is just over, you know, this is just too much and force you into, into a shell, if you will. And yet, despite all this carnage and upheaval and disruption, people are pushing through and carrying on and getting shit done, you know? And so I find it fascinating that, you know, it's like, it plays to the, like the, the you know, the, the power to human spirit, if you will reduced in my world to you know entrepreneurship and business buying but i think when you look at it in a much bigger scale you stand back and say oh my god like look at all this that's going on yet people are getting stuff done you know yeah. In, in, yeah. in a good way so to me i just i just think it's it's fascinating times yeah richard you are a very wise man i have to say i'm not wise just advice. old <laughs> hey listen we're all we're all we're all adding well i'm adding years on the clock let me tell you oh well. yeah so, tell um... me about it well i just became a grandfather for the first time it's like what are you talking about i was like 18 years old about an hour and a half ago right <laughs> well congratulations thank boy you or girl boy grayson henry is his name grayson henry what a fabulous name isn't it a great name 
Yeah, his name is Grayson Henry. Grayson Henry Moore. My daughter's married. Her husband's last name is Moore. And my friend, uh, my friend Lawrence tells me that it sounds like he Grayson Henry Moore says sounds like he signed the signed the Declaration of Independence. Very sophisticated name. Yeah, so he's a delicious little guy and brought a whole uh, whole new set of uh, wonder to life, which is terrific. Oh, fabulous. Well, huge congratulations on becoming a granddad. That's wonderful. Thank you. It really is. And uh, Richard, where can people find you? Where can they track you down? What's the best way to connect with you? The best way is just go to my main website, which is richardparker.com. And um, anybody who's looking to acquire a business, for example, there's hundreds of free articles and resources on there. But similarly, it's the easiest one to remember. And if you want to get in touch with me personally, just use the contact us page and let you know, in the message, just say, please send this message uh, forward it to Richard. Um, but that's the easiest one to remember. I have the diomo.com uh, website, but richardparker.com is the easiest one to remember. And there are lots of good information that, that hopefully people find helpful. I know they will. And um, but, uh, but I'm happy if anybody has a question, whether a business owner, think about buying business, think about selling one, whatever, and they have a question or if there's anything I can help with. I'm, I, I spend my days doing this because I love doing what I do. And so I'm happy to spend time with anybody on the phone and help them out. My pleasure. Oh, fantastic. You've got great energy, Richard. So no, I can certainly see that you, uh, you're passionate about everything you do and who you help. So that's a, a great offer. So anyone listening, make sure you connect with Richard and um, yeah, take advantage of all those free resources that are going to give you some inspiration and guidance. So fabulous. So Richard, Brave Bold Brilliant, what does that mean to you? Well, I, I must tell you that when, you know, this first came up related to participating in the podcast, I thought the um, the title is just spectacular because it can mean a lot of things to a lot of people. But I think brave, bold and brilliant to me. Anyways, I, I got to carve out brilliant because I'm not brilliant. Like if I you know, if I'm the smartest one in the room, I'm, I'm definitely in the wrong room. So I'll focus on brave and bold. But to me, it's it's like don't allow your life to pass you by to realize that some of the things you would have liked to have tried, you just, uh, uh, you know, you gave up. And I'm not saying from a standpoint of having regrets. I'm saying from a standpoint of really looking at things like there's you, you, you owe it to yourself. You owe it to yourself to try new things, whether it be learning, whether it be business, whether it be in a relationship, like being right, doesn't, it, it's not important to me. It's just, you want to, if you, if you give yourself the opportunity to try new things, Whatever that means, again, and I don't want to pigeon, you know, pigeonhole it into, into business. Whatever that means, try new things because it's the most exhilarating way to get the most out of life in every component, in your relationships, in your business. There's ongoing learning that you can do. So trying new things, learning about new things. I mean, it opens up a whole world of opportunities. And not just business opportunity, I'm just life and relationship opportunities. Yeah, of course, the business stuff. But, you know, to me, it's just just trying new stuff all the time. It just keeps life exciting and fun and interesting. That So that to me would be, you know, my version of, of brave and bold. I, I'll leave the, as I said, brilliance off the off the uh, off to the side because it doesn't apply to me. But brave, just just, you know, just jump in and try new stuff. Well, I love that. And I disagree. I think you are brilliant as well, Richard. You're just being very <laughs> humble. So I'll, I'll, I'll give you the thank brilliant, you. okay? Go, you can accept well, God bless you and thank you. I appreciate it. That's very kind. <laughs> Wonderful. It's been fabulous chatting, Richard. Thank you so much. And um, really look forward to seeing what happens next in the world of Richard Parker. 
Thank you very much. I appreciate you having me on. You asked terrific questions. It's wonderful energy and you're doing great things. And again, I, I really appreciate you giving me uh, the platform to have the conversation with you. It's been wonderful. My pleasure, Richard. I really hope you've enjoyed Brave, Bold, Brilliant. Don't forget to subscribe and share with all your friends. And if you've enjoyed listening, I'd love it if you'd leave me a five-star review.